My name is Joshua Ross, and welcome to the Entrepreneurship at DU podcast. It now pays to play college athletics. According to Yahoo Sports, in 2023, Bronny James, a freshman on the USC basketball team, made approximately $6 million. Shadur Sanders, quarterback for the University of Colorado, made over $4.1 million. Liv Dunn, a member of the LSU women's gymnastics team, made $3.2 million. And Arch Manning, nephew of Peyton and Eli Manning, a freshman quarterback, a backup for the University of Texas, made $2.9 million. Today, with our guest, Josh Burlow, Vice Chancellor for Athletics at the University of Denver, and Nico Blankenship, Director of Athletics Communication, we dive into a topic that has changed the landscape in college sports forever. Name, image, and likeness, commonly known as NIL. First, I would say that the University of Denver really supports our student-athletes' uh, opportunity to chase name, image, and likeness partnerships. Uh, we, we believe it's a great tool for empowerment. This was a change that no one saw coming, yet many believe it was long overdue. For decades, college sports in the United States operated under a strict doctrine, the sanctity of amateurism. Basically, this doctrine, upheld and enforced by the NCAA, was clear. Student athletes were amateurs and should remain uncompensated beyond their scholarship and basic stipends. Translation, they cannot make money marketing products or services, but this changed forever. In the simplest terms, name, image, and likeness describes the means to which college athletes are allowed to receive financial compensation for the use of their name, image, and likeness through marketing and promotion. Autograph signings, product endorsements, video games, social media posts are a few of the examples how a student athlete can receive compensation under NIL. It is important to understand what NIL does not allow. NCAA rules still prevent schools from paying players directly. This means that college coaches cannot offer money as an incentive for high school athletes to come play at their school, nor can athletes receive compensation directly from their university based upon their athletic achievements. So how did we get here? In 2009, when Ed O'Bannon, a former UCLA basketball star, was the lead plaintiff in a lawsuit against the NCAA, this lawsuit questioned why the NCAA could profit from the images of former student athletes in broadcast, video games, and merchandise without compensating the athlete. Why shouldn't athletes, the stars of the billion dollar college sports industry, benefit from their own name, image, and likeness? This seems like a very logical question. A judge ordered the NCAA to pay $44.4 million in attorney fees and another $1.5 million in costs to lawyers for the plaintiffs in the Ed O'Bannon class action antitrust lawsuit. Eventually, the Supreme Court got involved with a landmark Supreme Court ruling in NCAA versus Alston. I quote, where the Supreme Court rejected the NCAA's amateurism argument as an overly broad and outdated defense for failing to allow its revenue drivers, the student-athletes, to receive compensation. 
the court further rejected the NCAA's appeal that it was not a commercial enterprise, noting the highly profitable and professional nature of certain college sports. Shortly after the court's decision, the NCAA issued an interim name, image, and likeness policy, which permits student athletes to earn compensation for their NIL. On July 1, 2021, the NIL policies were adopted by the NCAA. Student athletes could now monetize their personal brand, their social media influence, and remain eligible to play collegiate sports. Now that we have established a brief history of NIL, here's my interview with Josh and Nico. Let's just jump right in. So how would you explain name, image, and likeness, NIL, to someone who knows nothing about it? You know, Joshua, I think I'd start with it's really about the opportunity to use who you are for business and entrepreneurial purposes. And it's it's existed for, I would probably say, centuries. Uh, I would think that product endorsements or service endorsements have been happening for a very long time. And it's something that college students, with the exception of student athletes, had the opportunity to do um, for, for decades upon decades. So really at its core, it's using your, and, and social media has been a game changer in this space, but it's using the notoriety that you have gained through a pursuit, whether that's athletics, whether that's making movies, whether that's being a, a well-known business leader to um, put together business partnerships. And uh, often those partnerships generate some sort of income, whether it's it's financial or goods and service or otherwise. So it, it's interesting at times that this appears to be a novel concept, but I think Peyton Manning's been doing product endorsements for a really long time. Yeah, I think that there was so much about the rules before NIL that just on paper didn't seem fair, right? Like you had student athletes not even doing something related to athletics trying to create a YouTube channel and profit off that and stuff like that. And, and it was so tight that this at least allows them to be just like any other student and use their name, image, and likeness for for their own good. How do you see NIL impacting the competitive landscape of college athletics? So is it different for each sport? Is there classes based on revenue with football and basketball athletes with the most exposure? Do they have the most uh, opportunity? Yeah, I mean, I do think it's de- it's definitely different in each sport. You take football and Penn's women's basketball, and they're probably in their own tier, and then everything else is kind of hit or miss depending on the school's focus and, and the program success and that kind of stuff. But I think how it's impacted the landscape short-term, it has a big impact on recruiting. Long-term, the rules could all change tomorrow for all we know. So it's not, it's not something that you can really judge long-term, I don't think, but – I think in the short term, it definitely has had a big impact. Well, and, and to build on Nico's comments, I think first I would say that the University of Denver really supports our student athletes' uh, opportunity to chase name, image, and likeness partnerships. Uh, we we believe it's a great tool for empowerment and life learning. And I know we're going to talk about some academic integration opportunities with the entrepreneurship program and the law school. And so, first of all, we're very supportive of name, image, and likeness 
and the opportunity our student athletes have to 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 leverage their notoriety and and you know some of them come here with some pretty solid social media followings and we've had some some neat partnerships uh, largely with restaurants and and uh, hydration products and and some some uh, leisure clothing lines and it's it's been great to see that uh, because we do want our student athletes to take advantage of those opportunities and then it's just such a great chance to learn frankly in a pretty safe environment now i have seen a couple of borderline predatory name image and likeness pieces i i was made aware of it not with one of our student athletes but but someone at our our uh, level in the, in the soccer space, so a very strong Division One soccer program where a, a recruit was offered a name, image, and likeness uh, opportunity for their 25 years NIL rights um, for a very modest sum. And, and whether that contract would have held up or not, I, I don't know, but um, that was a, a very one-sided uh, opportunity. So I think that kind of gets to some of our later questions, and we'll cover that, but there, there's quite a bit that needs to be figured out in this space around clarity and protections and, and some other things. Um, I would say it is different by sport uh, on some level, but even within the sports, there are differences. So you, you, know, you look at certain football conferences are in a very different space than other football conferences. We're seeing it here. We're certainly recruiting against it. And if you look at our programs that are so strong in hockey, gymnastics, the lacrosses, the soccers, you know, we are going up against places that, that have um, some NIL opportunities, and we've been able to hold our own thus far and uh, continue to operate in what I like to call the Denver way. So our student-athletes are coming here because they want to be part of the University of Denver. They want to have an exceptional academic experience. They want to compete at a national level, and the decisions to come here are not purely driven by NIL opportunities. I love that. And uh, I'm a DU alum and I'm also faculty. And to look at the success of the programs and all the different athletes, both the women and the men's, it makes me proud, first of all. And I have a lot of these student athletes in my classes. And I talk to them a lot of it, actually rarely about NIL, but just about life. And it's, they're just, they're so excited to be here. They're so excited to be a part of the whole University of Denver family. So you all have done a, a wonderful job with that. Well, a lot of people for a long time. And I think we might put that quote in our next recruiting pitch, Joshua. So. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. Uh, so speaking of recruiting, um, in, in your opinion, when you speak to the University of Denver coaches and coaches at other programs, has NIL impacted the recruiting process for student athletes it, and how? Yeah. Well, it absolutely has. And again, I think it gets back to sport by sport. Um, and there, there's a couple different kinds of NIL. There's the very authentic side of name, image, and likeness where student athletes are partnering with local businesses and there's there's a value exchange and there's promotion that takes place and there's compensation for that. Um, and then there's there's some other pieces of NIL that I think are a bit murkier and, and that's where the collectives come in and, and that's where maybe some of the decisions to go to a certain institution uh, or to transfer are driven by some, some NIL opportunities. So I think you have to parcel it out a bit. Uh, again, it, it certainly is showing up more and more. I think the University of Denver uh, came out early on three years ago and supported this conceptually and empowered our student athletes, which I think is phenomenal. We now have to find the next iteration of what our NIL framework looks like. And you know, one of the reasons I was, I was pleased that Nico could join us today is we've got a, I don't call it a task force, that's a strong terminology, but we've got a group that gets together 
pretty much every month, and it includes myself, multiple administrators, coaches, and we talk about the evolving space of, of NIL and where we need to position, be positioned while staying true to our values here at the University of Denver. So it's a space we are pleased to engage in and support our student-athletes and make sure that we're evolving, um, and we'll continue to do that. I think what's around the corner, and this gets back to the question of sport by sport, when we're recruiting against certain conferences and certain sports, there's a lot of NIL competition out there. But uh, myself and our coaches fir- firmly believe there are enough student, talented student-athletes who can compete at this level that want to be here for the authentic, organic reasons and all the advantages that the University of Denver has to has to offer. So um, is it changing? Sure. Is it challenging? But I think the one constant in life is change, and, and we need to adapt and make sure that we're leveraging our competitive advantage and staying aligned with our values. I will say Josh said something earlier about us doing NIL the Denver way. And I've been here 12 years now, and whether it's Peg Bradley Doppis before him, Carlton Creech before him, and now Josh, we've always done things the Denver way, which prioritizes the integrity and the purpose of the role, like Joshua, like you and I were talking about earlier, is is what was the spirit of NIL. And that was like he talked about the local businesses and and doing commercials and promos and ads and stuff like that. Um, so the questions that come up in the task force or group or whatever you want to call it is, is how do we evolve but still stay true to those values that both the athletic department has and the University of Denver as a whole? So I, w- I wanted to uh, provide a little clarity in terms of NIL and how it relates to athletic departments at universities, because I don't think a lot of people understand what universities are allowed to do, what you're not allowed to do. So what challenges do you face as the University of Denver supporting NIL, and what are you actually allowed to do? Well, that's evolving, and by the time this airs, it'll probably change again. I want to put that out there. Uh, You know, we're certain, first and foremost, we have some guiding principles. Number one is maintaining eligibility for the student-athletes, and that's something I don't think gets talked about enough, but if student-athletes enter into NIL partnerships that compromise their ability to compete, not only are they ineligible, but they also jeopardize those NIL deals. So that's our our bulletproof guiding principle. Um, Secondarily, uh, it's it's how do we support our student athletes? How do we keep our finger on the pulse of the evolving landscape? And we did that with a third party partnership, uh, and, and this is well before I got here. It's called Influencer, and um, our student athletes are able to use this uh, online portal and clearinghouse to facilitate some of these partnerships. We post opportunities there, and our compliance folks are able to vet them, and we can ensure that they're in line with institutional contracts, and that's kind of the nuts and bolts piece behind the scenes. The third pillar is really the education piece. And just this summer, uh, Nico led an effort to redo uh, our online presentation for our student athletes. Uh, Jason Kestner, who oversees our compliance pieces, did an educational session because there are a lot of instances where you can get yourself into some trouble in NIL. And, and international students are highly complicated in this space with visa status. Um, there's a tax component here that a lot of people don't think of or don't talk about. Uh, and, and making sure that you're looking at those contracts and that 
um, those contracts are not, as the student-athlete, giving up some long-term rights or giving up some things that you may not want to. And then there's some other pieces of the education. Think about the brands you're associating with. Think about your personal brand. Largely, these folks are 18 to 22. Is this a brand that in 20 years you want to have a close relationship with? So it's really about education and empowering, but also helping them see around the corner and some of the things that uh, as they develop as leaders and, and hopefully entrepreneurs that they're uh, aware of and, and avoid some of those pitfalls. Yeah, I think I couldn't have said it better. I think so few of the athletes that are entering NIL deals are going to be doing professional sports long term, right? So what are you going to be doing in your future, whether it's job-wise, whether it's relationships, whether it's other stuff, that you want to be associated with the brand that offered you the most money to, to play the sport you love or be in a name, image, and likeness deal. So I think, you know, it's so flashy to read some of the stories in the media, like every scholarship player at blank school gets blank gift. Well, th- yeah, but is that again, what you want to be associated with long-term. So I want to take a macro view on college athletics and the impact of NIL. Uh, I've read a couple articles over the, uh, the, the past couple months, and one area that I'm reading about is donors traditionally giving to the program or a certain uh, athletic department, and instead now they're given straight to these athletes. And so athletic departments are starting to struggle with finances because they're not getting the same amount of donor gifts. What is that going to do to the the competitive landscape from NIL and also to be able to support these different programs? Uh, You know, Josh, I think that's a great question. Uh, There are a lot of forces right now, if you look across the collegiate landscape, conference affiliation, TV contracts, NIL. So I think it's one of – um, litigation against the NCAA, NCAA not lobbying for federal intervention on some of the core elements of, of what it means for them to be the membership association that they are. So I would lump it in really with the external forces that are occurring right now that are creating some fundamental shifting of what intercollegiate athletics looks like. And there's been a lot of really good stuff that's gone on there. We've seen across the country supporting our student-athletes at a higher level. It wasn't that long ago that we weren't allowed to provide a bagel with cream cheese to our student-athletes. And and now we're able to feed them, and their schedules are intense. And uh, it's, it's great some of the things that I've seen in addition to the food around mental health and performance coaching and sports medicine. So there's a bunch of great stuff that really isn't getting a lot of attention. Um, but there's also some concern. I mean, conferences like the Pac-12, a historic conference with more Olympians, I believe, than any other conference, um, essentially uh, looks as though it may not exist much longer. Uh, and as those things happen, I think competitive balance is something that many of us are watching closely. I will say in a lot of ways, because we don't have football, we are protected, insulated from some of that, uh, and because we are so successful in so many of our programs, but just as you always need to watch out for complacency, now is a particularly important time to avoid complacency. So that's why we have this standing group around NIL and probably half a dozen more in the athletic department. So I would say NIL is one of many things that is shifting beneath our feet in the future of college athletics. And is again, I'm going to go back to the Denver way. As long as we hold on to our values and virtues of how to approach intercollegiate athletics, empower our student-athletes, support them at the highest level with high academic achievement and good social citizens, I think DU will continue to thrive. 
but it is one of the many things that we're watching closely that 10 years ago we weren't. Yeah, I think being a great student athlete is what the Denver way I think is kind of all about. And and we're able to do that in a large part, at least in my opinion, because we don't have football. Josh, what you and I were talking before Josh got here, that like it allows us to focus on the sports, on all the sports, and not just say, okay, well, football's here, they take priority type thing. Um, it, it allows us to be a more well-rounded athletic department, I think, in that way. I love the Pac-12 reference. I grew up as a kid. My family went to USC. I watched the Pac-10. I think there's a, a stat out there. If the Pac-12 was a country, it would be like number five in total Olympic medals. Yeah. Yeah. And, wow. And it's interesting that it, it's probably going away. I'm, you know, there's certain things that need to be worked out. It'll look different regardless. It will look different. <laughs> but it, Oh, that's a very good point. It will look different. But at one point uh, in this football season, there were six Pac-12 teams in the top 25. Yeah, it's, it's and I think it's just a good analogy. And, and who knows what happens? And there's no judgment there whatsoever. But, you know, I, I've worked football games at the Coliseum, at the Rose Bowl, up at Stanford. And, um, you know, I've been out there for a lot of different sports. And there's a lot of tradition there. So again, I think it just it's a good reminder to those of us that are navigating intercollegiate athletics at the present to really hold on to values and tradition, but be progressive, right? You got to do both. And if, if you sit back too much, and you're not progressive, and you're not up on the challenges of today and, and strategies to navigate them while knowing who you are, then I think that there can be some things at risk. That is a great point. And that's probably a very delicate balance to keep the tradition, which is so important. And it seems like it's going away in college athletics, but also being progressive. So as an outsider, looking at NIL over the past two and a half years, it has felt like the wild, wild west. It feels like this plane is being built as it's being flown. So what are some key takeaways or lessons from the first year, first few years of NIL? Uh, yeah, there's, there's a few. I, I think the law of unintended consequences is, is proven strong and true. Um, there are some things that, that necessarily weren't thought of when the implementation happened. Um, I think if you're too far behind the curve, which there were state laws that existed prior to the NCAA rules and, and policies and legislation. So now we have this patchwork of 25 to 30 completely incongruent state laws around name, image, and likeness. Um, I think the Colorado law is is quite a, appropriate and reasonable. So that's that's a good thing for, for DU and for Colorado. But just the lack of consistency... Um, the lack of clarity and the collectives were not imagined at the time that, that NIL came to be. So uh, we need more clarity, and that's one of the big pushes that uh, Charlie Baker, the president of the NCAA, former Massachusetts governor, is asking for some federal help with because we have state laws out there that literally say you don't have to follow the NCAA rules in certain states. So the lack of consistency is a challenge, and I would like to see some more protections for our student-athletes. Um, and, and what that looks like, frankly, I don't know. I think that uh, some sort of available standard template for an agreement might be a nice thing, but I don't think it should be a requirement because some are going to be more complex than others. But at least a path for student-athletes who have these modest NIL partnerships to make sure that they have some protections because this is the first time in their lives that they're entering into formal business agreements, and they could be literally 18 years old. 
Uh, so I think those are some of the lessons. Um, but I think there's some real positives about student athletes who've done a great job of leveraging their name, image, and likeness and their social media following. And I think of a couple of past examples. Jeremy Bloom, who was a football player up in Boulder, but was also a, a potential Olympic-level skier who was not allowed to take skiing endorsements. And that's where I think some of the policies maybe didn't keep up with the progress of society. I had uh, a young woman at the University of Minnesota, Duluth. She took a year off to be the uh, number one goalie for the U.S. women's ice hockey team and won a gold medal in Pyeongchang in a shootout against Canada and was on the Today Show, Ellen, Fallon, you name it, for the week after. And it was literally less than a year before the name, image, and likeness rules were changing. And she had massive NIL opportunities. Uh, now, Maddie, Maddie Rooney is her name, and she's an incredible human. And frankly, it didn't bother her that she missed out on those opportunities. She was so proud to represent her country, and she was so excited to come back and have another year of college sports. But uh, I think of some of those examples that uh, had we been more progressive, and the, and the we is all of college athletics in this space, there were a lot of individuals who could have taken advantage of some of those opportunities. Yeah, I think the cliche is let the cat out of the bag. I think it, it got let way out of the bag in this situation, and I think that we kind of have to reel it back in a little bit and and learn from some of the lessons that Josh mentioned that that we've learned since. Um, I think transparency is really important. I mean, it, it, the purpose of NIL wasn't to make the transfer portal, which you and I talked about, not seem like free agency, which is what it looks like in – the professional sports comparison. So I think uh, the more transparency while still protecting the student athletes is probably the most important thing. All right. So you went there. So we now have to tell our audience what the link, what the transfer portal is and the link between the two. So the transfer portal is basically uh, there used to be. So if I was player a, uh, especially in Penn's women's basketball, if I was player or, or football, if I was player a and I wanted to leave Denver to go to wherever, I would either have to sit out a year or uh, I'd have to get an agreement from the coach to release me from my scholarship and that kind of stuff. And I think now it's more, it looks like more free agency, but there shouldn't be the money exchanging hands that that is right now in the NIL landscape. So there is no penalty from transferring from one school to another school when you go through the transfer portal. There's no penalty the first time. And then the second time, you'd have to sit out a year. And there are some exceptions to the, the Correct. second, second yeah. one as well. But these came to be, when you think about NIL and Transfer Portal, around the same time. Completely. It was the confluence of yeah. time. And, and I think uh, the extra COVID eligibility for student-athletes, we're, we're starting to look around the corner and see what Transfer Portal looks like and student-athlete mobility, which I'm a huge supporter of. Uh, but we, we also, again, need some consistency and some clarity and, and we haven't had a ton of that because the transfer portal um, came about in a new way with less restrictions. Again, it completely supports student-athlete mobility, but it came at a time that everyone got extra eligibility and name, image, and likeness could play a role. Uh, so we really don't know what the transfer portal will look in, in sort of its steady-state condition. Yeah, now we're almost done with the extra year of eligibility. There's some there's some student athletes that still can take advantage of it for another year. So that'll be one box checked, I guess, in that. Um, and and the transfer portal will, I think, start to look like what it was intended to. Really interesting. The confluence of time. I'm going to use that. To think about it. obviously the transfer portal, 
name, image, and likeness, but I forgot about that extra year of eligibility due to uh, the pandemic. Mm. Yeah, and for the students, you weren't, you weren't. I don't want to say ruining your education by transferring because I agree with Josh. I I support student athlete movement, and there's a lot of times that it can be a very helpful thing to transfer. But you weren't uh, altering your undergrad degree because you had an extra year, so you could really open it up. You're going to a new school anyway to get your master's or any other postgrad degree. Um, so once I think that kind of expires, uh, it'll look a lot different. We've had some great stories around grad transfers here in the last couple of years, particularly in women's lacrosse, men's ice hockey. So, you know, there, there's some real positives, and, and it's exciting, and I've gotten to know those young men and women and seen them be successful. So uh, it, it we, we need to be careful that everything doesn't feel like it has this weight, but change often feels heavy, and as we navigate it, then you begin to have some of those really positive life life experiences. Uh, I'm excited about some of the changes that we've seen in the the newness, but there it, it's a lot of evolution in a really short period of time in a space where the NCAA was long criticized for being incredibly slow to change. And here we are seeing rapid change. So um, it takes a bit of getting used to for some folks that have been doing this for a long time, but I'm excited and energized by it. And I think we just need to continue to focus on core values, positivity, and the the just exceptional opportunity to be a student athlete, a life-changing experience. And that goes for anybody who's got a high-level co-curricular pursuit on campus, music, what you, what you all do in entrepreneurship. I love that stuff. And uh, it's, it's just exciting to me that we're seeing a lot of energy and positivity in a new way. We've just got to make sure we don't forget who we are and why we do intercollegiate athletics. And that's about education and those life lessons, success, teamwork, adversity, leadership. We're hosting our Leadership Institute for our junior student-athletes on Sunday, and those things are really good reminders of why we do what we do, because as talented as the student-athletes are here and the traditions that we have sending them to the the professional ranks, it is still a really small percentage of our student-athletes that end up playing professionally and an even smaller percentage of them that don't have a more traditional career when they're done playing professional sports. Josh mentioned them Minnesota Duluth, QS national team goalkeeper earlier. I think for the Denver uh, fans and people listening to this, a great example of somebody who could have taken advantage of NIL is Trevor Baptiste, who was here before Josh's time, uh, 2015 through 2018. Great kid. Uh, did every interview that I ever asked him to do um, and and really grew his social media following. And the day after he graduated, he signed a contract with our equipment sponsor, Warrior, who sponsored him since. Um, so watching him kind of take off in the NIL space post-graduation, it kind of makes you wonder what would that have been like uh, during his time here in the present day? Well, going back to the comment about Jeremy Bloom, I mean, he's he's a local kid from Colorado, from Loveland, plays football, mogul skier, and wanted to be sponsored so he could support his training. Yeah. And the NCAA told him no. Same thing's happening, a little different. Football players are going off and playing uh, semi-pro baseball and then coming back at 26, 27 and playing college football. And back then, that was a, vi- that was a very difficult thing to try to reconcile what was happening in, uh, in college athletics. So question, uh, what advice would you give student athletes who are interested in monetizing their name, image, and likeness? 
Yeah, a couple of things we've touched on already. First, have a plan. Have a business plan. Have a proposal. It's great practice to learn how to do that. Um, get advice and and really embrace the opportunity to um, have real world practical learning about partnerships. Uh, secondarily, think about the taxes. There are tax implications here, and I'm already starting to hear of some some tough stories where student athletes aren't aware about the taxes, and then they get themselves into some challenging situations. Um, and then make sure that you have uh, an attorney look at your contract. You know, I, I just think it's it needs to be a best practice. So those are the nuts and bolts pieces. Beyond that, think think about your personal brand and think about the alignment of the companies that you're working with. Think about the time commitment that you're putting into this. Student-athletes have their academic rigor, the pursuit of their sport. They don't have a lot of free time. Make sure that this opportunity for you is worth the time that you're putting into it. I've seen some student-athletes put a lot of time into a handful of free meals. So make sure the time you're putting into this is really well worth it. Um, but overall, I just continue to go back to it's a great life skill building chance to try something. And in a space where if you make a mistake or you fail, it's probably not going to alter the trajectory of your life. If you screw up the partnership with the local chicken uh, restaurant franchise, you're going to be okay going forward. So um, with all due respect to our, our friends that sell chicken. So uh, I think there's a lot of really good opportunities there and uh, a chance to learn some best practices that will serve you well in life. That is, that's wonderful advice. And so I want to pull on that thread a little bit further. How can we at the university help, you know, the entrepreneurship program, the business school, uh, different mu- multimedia what are different things that we could do to help support these athletes? Yeah, we're, we're looking at reinventing our uh, our program here at, at DU. As we've learned a lot in the last few years, we're starting to see the type of partnerships that our student-athletes are doing and how can we elevate what we do for them. We're also beginning, I think, to get a little bit more clarity about what the future of NIL is going to look like and whether that's regulated by the NCAA or the federal government. It really doesn't matter who the regulatory body is. We'll get some clarity there. So we're, we're sort of chomping at the bit here to take it to that next iteration of our program. And I think that that does involve some ga- engagement with entrepreneurship, with the law school, and having a framework and more education and uh, having uh, entrepreneurship folks come over and meet with our coaches and our student-athlete leadership group. Same thing with the law school. And having a mutually beneficial relationship that students in entrepreneurship or law students are getting the opportunity to do some real-world resume-building work. And our student athletes get access to hopefully some some discounted or some reasonable, reasonably priced professional services that'll behoove them. So I really want to see this be uh, an authentic DU benefit in an academic 360 degree holistic way. And excited now whether that's January or next summer, I, you know we're, we're working through that. But I think that's the next iteration of what's coming for us. Yeah, it's going to be taking whatever the new guidelines are and then figuring out what the best play, best way to apply that is. I mean, I think back to my time as a college student, and I don't know much about the entrepreneurship or law school trajectory, but if I had the opportunity in college, which I did, to have hands-on experience about what I wanted my career to be, and I was getting real-life lessons and real work while I was still a student, uh, and taking a little bit of money on the side. I mean, you can't ask for a better opportunity as a law school student or as an entrepreneur student to to get this hands-on experience that's going directly on your resume. 
Yeah, I think there's so many pathways that we can take with this in terms of we have uh, these businesses that are being uh, spun up out of the uh, university and athletes could potentially uh, pitch, pitch for those, right, mm -hmm, and be sure. brand ambassadors. Or our students can start building products and services around NIL or, you know, work directly with these athletes to help them create and promote their brand. So I think there's a lot of really interesting uh, opportunities for that. I fully agree, and I, I think sometimes athletic departments are quick to go get outside help, and there is so much expertise, often world-class, industry-leading expertise on college campuses. So uh, I really want to, rather than write a check to some sort of third-party entity, and we do that, everybody does that, and there are, there are external experts that have to help us, but when, when we've got uh, national-level expertise and really talented faculty and students blocks away, that's, that's my go-to. I think that's the right approach. So as NIL uh, continues to evolve, um, how much collaboration is there with all the stakeholders, the NCAA, state governments, private sector? Well, I think it gets back to what Nico touched on a minute ago, and, and we just need to know what the next framework looks like. Um, we've been highly engaged with many of these entities, certainly with the NCAA, in, in providing feedback and thoughts. But we've reached a, a point where I think people are buying into it, student athletes are having success with it. But at the end of the day, we need to know what the future is going to look like. And, and that's going to be the, the key and, and the impetus and the linchpin, whatever you want to call it, for us to really codify our program leverage the empowerment, do it the DUA, and see what it looks like, not for the next 10 months, but the next 10 years. Yeah, I think the short-term, long-term point that I think I made earlier is, yeah, we could have a whole bunch of strategies as it goes forward for the next two months or three months or however long it is, but is that really going to do us a lot of good spending a lot of time on that if if the new legislation and, and the new framework is coming? You've been awesome, and you've touched on this last question in different ways, but I I'm going to frame it a little bit different. As college sports fans, which I know both of you are, what are your personal thoughts and feelings about NIL and the changes brought about with it? I love it. I think it, I think it, it does empower the student athletes. It does, it, it does give real world experience to both the student athletes and, and potentially other people on college campuses. Um, I think, like I said earlier, I think it just let the cat too far out of the bag. It, it, we're in such a hurry to to allow uh, people to do like the skiing deal that we talked about earlier that we didn't think about the unintended consequences. And I there's, there's so many things that I read about in the media and stuff that I'm just kind of like, guys like that that really wasn't what we meant <laughs> um so i think being able to rein that in and and allow the schools to be involved a little bit so that we can help the student athletes i think will be good but again it's all about the transparency for me uh yeah i i think we would till nico's last point really would like the institutions to be able to be a little more involved and that's from both an empowerment and a and and a sort of pitfall educational standpoint um, we have a small collective here, and, and we're excited to work with them, and, and they focus largely on basketball to this point. And um, I, I think there's a lot of really good stuff here, uh, but the lack of transparency and uniformity has, has made it a challenge. Um, but I, I'm excited by it. It's the same opportunity that other students have had on, on campuses for 
for decades. And I look forward to seeing where it goes and how we can do it here and uh, help our coaches recruit top elite level talent and have them be successful and be empowered to um, achieve all the goals that are out there for them. So I, you know, I've been a big supporter of it for years, well before I remember when the Jeremy Bloom case happened. Um, and, and I'm just looking forward to how we reach that equilibrium and uh, can can balance all of the pieces of this complicated puzzle in a really good way. Um, it's I think it's an exciting thing at the end of the day. And thus far, I've seen some really, really good stories. I've seen some athletes do some great things with it. Um, and it's it's helped alter where they were headed in their future. So I'm, I'm really excited about it. We had so many good stories that I remember from my first five, six, seven years here that it's like, we want to tell this story. This is a great story about a student athlete who is applying what they learned in college and taking the next level. We had a lacrosse player that, that uh, developed head wraps that went on like plain white helmets to be able to put on the helmets, but we couldn't promote it because it was his business. So if we're promoting his business that yeah, it was, it was co- complicated from a compliance standpoint, but I think there's so many stories like that out there um, that we weren't able to tell before that now being able to is, is, is a positive difference. Yeah. I'd close with an example. The number of times that I've been approached in my career by an orthopedic firm that helped a student athlete and rebuilt a knee or a shoulder or an elbow and that student athlete went on to do great things, and that student athlete couldn't do any promotion of that orthopedic firm until after they graduated. Um, that I just I couldn't intuitively, personally understand that. Now that can happen. So when when one of our kids has an unfortunate injury, as those things happen, when they get back and they reach their their goals, whether it's professional sports or the Olympics, they can do that commercial for. Uh, the orthopedic firm, and they can be compensated for it. And it, it's the ultimate win-win. We're hoping to find those win-wins and be able to continue to recruit, again, those top-level athletes. We're happy to engage in the NIL space um, and look forward to uh, just another piece of the evolution of college athletics. Well, Josh and Nico, first, I appreciate your time today. I appreciate your candor and your honesty. But most important, thank you for making us all a little bit smarter today. I wouldn't bank on that part. (laughs) The Entrepreneurship at DU podcast was recorded in Marjorie Reed Hall on the University of Denver campus. You can find us on Instagram at DU Entrepreneur, on Twitter X at DU underscore Entrepreneur, and on Facebook at Entrepreneurship at DU. This episode was engineered, edited, and produced by Sophia Holt. Entrepreneurship at DU is part of the Daniels College of Business, which has its own podcast. Check out Voices of Experience wherever you get your podcasts.